so let's get into this. God, we want to thank you for a new year that you've given us, 2015. Lord, I pray that as we move through this year, you would call us to a deeper intimacy with yourself and that we would surrender ourselves to that call. We'd respond to it. That we would walk with you in a deeper way this year. That we would love each other more profoundly. That we would love the world around us and bring Jesus to them. Lord, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. My rock and my redeemer. Amen. So, I had some trouble with the title of the teaching today, the sermon. Uh, you know, I, went, I wanted to call it first, I was going to call it the bar. Not like, you know, the bar, but, the, you know, the bar. And I thought, well, no, that's not really what I want to say. And then I went to, like, evidence. And I thought, yeah, evidence is a good one. And I'm like, well, no, verification, that makes me sound a little smarter, a little bit more pedigree. And I'm, well, well I'm not pedigree at all. So then I went back to maybe we should just call it the bar. And so I told Will, I said, just put evidence in there for now. We'll change it later. And I never changed it. And so, but, but it, it's, it's, it has this, when you start to use words like when we talk about raising the bar, or when we talk about evidence and when we talk about verification or, or a test, there's always, it can always stir some, um, some nervousness in people, especially when you use those words in the context of our faith, of our journey of faith. Now, I, I, I hope that you know me by now and know that nowhere in my DNA will you ever hear me say that we perform ourselves into salvation or the grace of God or the love of God, but that we have been saved, saved by grace through faith, and, that, and there's a period at the end of that. And so, so I don't want you to get all nervous, and you'll see what I mean as we kind of take this thing a little bit farther down the road, why I was a little, uh, it caused a little tension in me. Now, what I'd like to do, since it's the beginning of the year, a new year, 2015, I would like to speak over the next few weeks, probably about eight weeks or so, um, about church, about the church, Big C. Not just necessarily our church, though I will uh, weave us into that picture because we are part of the church. What I want to talk about is, is how we, church, live this thing out, what it looks like in our daily lives, what it looks like as individuals, what it looks like as a community. And for some of you, this might just be old hat and you know all this. For some, it might be a good reminder. For others, it might be uh, I'm, I'm speaking something to you that you've never heard before. So, But wherever you are on that, on that spectrum, we're going to spend a handful of weeks talking about church. Now, in our culture, when you say the word church, and even in some Christian, with, with some Christian people, when you say the word church, there, there, there could be this negative connotation. You know, nobody, you know, I, I believe in God, but I don't like organized religion. And, you know, you hear that over and again. And so church has kind of gotten a bad rap. Some in, some in the world, well, I don't say in the world, I say like in our Western culture would say that the church has lost relevance in the world today. Unfortunately, I, I can't argue that, that too, too much. I mean, we have kind of lost some relevance in the world. Some will blame the leaders of the church or church. Some will blame the pastors. Some will blame the priests, the bishops, whoever is the leader of the church. As a pastor of a church, I take full responsibility for any irrelevance, the irrelevance of church. But in saying that, so should all of you. 
Because see, I, just me, is not the church. We gathered our church. All of us are church. You don't come to my church, though I know that that's kind of kind of thought process. This is not my church. This is our church. This is our family. Ultimately, we all belong to God. That's who we are. And the church over there belongs to God. And the church down there belongs to God. We are part of God's kingdom. We are a group of Jesus followers, individuals who follow Jesus. And then we come together and we gather and we call ourselves church. What I'd like to do is take a real honest look at, at, at us, at I, at we. Not, not, this is not you thinking about the person sitting next to you. This is not you thinking about the church over there. This is not you thinking about the church that you left to come here. This is, this is an honest look at us, ourselves, our journey, my journey. How am I living this thing out? What is the evidence in my life that I am a Jesus follower? Please understand, evidence is a, it's, it's a, it's a thing that happens because of something. Like, let me give you an example. When you look at me, you see this chiseled physique. It's evidence that... Why are you laughing? It's evidence that I go to the gym eight days a week. That's that. So, so the gym is what I do. The evidence is, well, let it speak for itself. Um, so, and so what I want to make sure that we understand is evidence is because God is doing something in us, around us, through us, transforming us. There are evidence, evidences of that in our life. And so let's get to the first verse, the verse, uh, our verse this morning. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Verses like this in the Bible, they have a very, uh, they have a nice, they have a, a cadence to them. They have a rhythm to them. They, they feel almost poetic in nature. It was almost like Paul knew that someday there would be this corporation called Hallmark and they were going to need words to put on these little foldy pieces of paper and send them out to people. And so he just kind of waxed poetry out there through the scripture. And, and, then, and then I'm sure he didn't even know about coffee cups and T-shirts and things like that. But there are many verses in the Bible that have this, this um, poetic feel to them. Like, you know, as a deer panteth. For the water, and you can't say pants because that's not po- yeah panteth. You got to go King James on, on that. And so we have all of these verses that that kind of that that have that popular feel, the ones that we teach our kids to memorize in Sunday school. But the problem is, as we become very familiar with them, as we just kind of look at them as as poetry or kind of the picture that they paint or the sentiment that they stir in us, we can miss the meaning, the meaning of the text itself. That text of, as a deer panteth for water is, and every time I've seen a picture of it, is this beautiful mountain stream and this very healthy deer standing by it. And that's not what the, that's not what the writer is writing at all. 
This deer is dragging itself to water because it's so thirsty it can't even stand. But that doesn't sell, that doesn't sell Hallmark cards. And so we have to be very careful to, to dig, to discipline ourselves, to dig beyond the surface of, of the Scripture, to let it marinate in our brain, to engage it in a way that goes beyond the surface and gets to the depth of it. Paul is speaking here. Something, something has sparked in him this desire to write these words. Now, we know that it's the power of the Holy Spirit working through him, but the Spirit doesn't work separate of him. So Paul is going through something right now, and he has chosen to write these specific words to this specific group of people in this way, at this time. And he is writing in the context of some very, very difficult times. Things are not going easy for him. In fact, he lists them uh, a few verses before that. He he says he's hard-pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, always being given over to death. That's not your typical Monday morning. That's just not just beyond a bad day. That's like, like it seems like it's hitting the fan for him. And things are really difficult, not only for him, but for the people that he's with. And in that context, that hardship, that difficulty, he writes these words. Therefore, we do not lose hearts, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, we, we're no stranger to talking about uh, the world and kind of the brokenness of the world. And, and, you know, we touched on it a few times when we went through our journey through Isaiah 40 and Christmas Eve. If you were here, um, I spoke about the light of Christ in the darkness of the world. Here's, here's my, my strong, firm belief. That church buildings need to be filled with people who can stand with Paul and proclaim these words into the world. I mean, just, just look at the events of this past week in Paris. Look at, look at uh, I, I, I keep seeing over and over again, even now, that poor police officer laying on the ground while that man with an AK-47 came up and shot him. Man, the world is full of, 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 of darkness and pain. It's, it's full of violence and hatred and murder and war and terror. The church, the world needs people that can stand with Paul and live these words. It's just so evident to me that we have to be able to stand with him. Not in some arrogant indifference like, hey, you know, it doesn't matter what happens. It's all good. But with a, with a deep faith in the scripture with a deep love of God, that, that, we would, that we would share God's love and also share hope that, that he is king. And he hasn't just left us to our own vices in this whole thing. He hasn't checked out. Even in the midst of how bad it seems to get, he hasn't checked out. And we need people, we need churches that can stand and proclaim that in love and in grace and in mercy. But the question comes, the question is, can we do it? Do we have the confidence to do that? If we are church, we, and we believe that these writings are sacred and they're the word of God, then it is good for us to wrestle 
with these things. It's good for us to wrestle with verses like this because you know what? The, this, this is a difficult text. And I know it seems all nice and light and fluffy, but I don't wish this on anyone. We don't want to have to deal with this ourselves because that means that something is, is going wrong in our lives. Something is hard and difficult and you're experiencing something difficult. These, this, this Bible, these three verses are difficult and hard and, and, and I don't wish them on, on anyone. But the reality is that most of us in our life will come to a point come to a situation, come to an experience where we're going to have to stand on this. That's, that's life. It's not all easy. And so we have to check the posture of our own heart. And by checking the posture of our own heart, we check the posture of the heart of church because we are church. And so again, there are certain evidences of those who would follow Jesus. There are certain evidences that make up church. And I don't mean that's, you know, what kind of music you play or how you dress or order of service. I don't mean those things, but just kind of big sweeping things of of evidence of of a Jesus follower. And some people like to categorize and say, this one's the most important. And if you got this one, everything falls into place. And, And so, you know, things like, and we've talked about it before, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. You know, things like theology or, or, or doctrine, people say that is the evidence of a Jesus follower. You have to believe, you have to believe this in, in the creed that we just, we read together this morning. If you don't believe in that creed, then, then you're really not a Jesus follower because you don't believe the correct things about Jesus. You don't believe about his atonement and his death. You don't believe about sanctification, justification, salvation, all those big words. If you, if you don't believe correctly, then you really can't call yourself a Jesus follower. But if you can believe those things, then, then, then there's evidence that you follow Christ. Now, I do believe theology is very important. I do believe good theology is important. I believe that we need to know the truth of who God is and who Jesus is as revealed in, in the scripture. But I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like the one. Because there are people, there are people that are very intellectual in their pursuits of theology in the Bible. And they could, they could, they can quote chapter and verse, and they can just kind of match it all up and pull it all together. They can defend the faith well, but still walk in this, this powerlessness of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the faith that they try to defend is the very faith that they deny because of what's in their heart. And so words and theology, that's not, that's not the, the, the thing. At least, I don't think so. Maybe you're thinking that that's very true. I mean, words are cheap. Action, that is evidence. How you live your life is evidence of who you are and if you follow Jesus. Are you moral? Do you walk with integrity? Are you living a biblically ethical life? Those are the evidences. I agree that that's, that's, a, that's a good... Yeah, that's, that's evidence of what God is doing. But, but the one, the thing, the, the, the shizzle, I, I don't think that's, that's it. I think there has to be more because I know, I know many people, and I'm sure you do too, good people, people with integrity, people with, with a high moral standard, fathers, husbands who love their families, 
mothers, wives that love their families, that will do anything for them, and they don't follow Jesus. One couple I know, they don't even believe in Jesus. But they're a good family, and they love their kids. And so, action is not like the, the, the ultimate evidence It's important, yes, but it's got to be important to the response of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. And that's causing you to live in a certain way. Not about earning something like, if I do this, I'm proving I'm a Jesus follower. No, that's not it. And we can go on and on with the list of things. You know, uh, a spiritual awakening or a spiritual experience. I've had a spiritual experience. Well, sometimes a spiritual experience has nothing to do with God. But yet we know that some people have had this this profound Holy Spirit experience in their lives and they know that God is is messing with them and and He's changing them and transforming them and pruning and building up and tearing down. And so we just can't say, we just can't say, no, all experience is bad. No, I've experienced that myself. But just because we label something a spiritual experience doesn't mean it's evidence that you walk with Christ. Dare I say that these three verses, as I've kind of studied this and and read the really smart people, dare I say that these verses, if I had to put one at the top of the list, this would be the evidence. This would be the thing that I would say, (laughs) it's a Jesus follower. Because in this we have theology. In this we have a way of life. In this we have experience. It's kind of all wrapped up in there. You know, it's easy to speak of life and faith and God and Jesus when things are all going well. When you're standing on the mountaintop and you're looking out and it's the perfect day and it's all rainbows and glitter and milky ways. It's all, it's, it's good to profess your faith in Jesus. It's easy to profess that faith. But as many of you know, it's not that way all of the time. Many of you have, have experienced very difficult things in your life. Hard things. Things that you don't even wish on your enemy. And what is it that you believe during those difficult times? What is it that you, what is the posture in your heart when it seems to all hit the fan? You know, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but I think of, of two gentlemen in our own community, Bob Selka and Kurt Fountain. One man had cancer, melanoma. He went for surgery. The other, open heart surgery. And I, and I had a conversation, and I was able to talk with them, and I was able to visit with them. And yeah, man, that's, that's a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it can cause a little bit of stress. But what I found in both of those men is they never lost heart. They never lost heart. And they submitted themselves to God and the prayers of the saints what is the posture of our heart when we see those, those images on TV of, of terrors, terrorists just killing innocent people? Do we, do we just kind of curl up in fear or can we stand with Paul? Can we stand with him and say, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all? Can we stand with him and say that? That's what the world needs of the church. Because to walk in this truth is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. To walk in this truth is to believe correctly the things of God. 
an intellectual understanding of the Bible is not going to comfort you so much when things go horribly wrong. But a transformational encounter with Jesus changes everything. It changes everything. And it's not just some... um, self-help or stoic philosophy like, you know what, just suck it up, get over it, just overcome. The world is hard. Yeah, the world is not a fair place. Put your nose to the grindstone and just, just move on. This is something that goes way beyond just putting up with your life or putting up with the world. Romans, and, and Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that he, he tells the church that for your sake, we face death all day long. But we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. This is what Paul is talking about. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. As I was preparing this um, this week, I came across a story about this guy, H.G. Spofford. He lived in the 1800s. And uh, H.G. was a pretty wealthy guy. Uh, He owned a lot of real estate. He lived in Chicago. Uh, come uh, 1871, I believe, October 8th, a little fire broke out and decided to burn a lot of Chicago down. It lasted for two days. We call it the Great Fire of Chicago. And H.G. lost everything. He went from being a very wealthy man to having just about nothing because everything burned to the ground. A few years after that, he decided that his wife and four daughters would go to Europe. He put them on a boat and said goodbye to them, and they sailed off. And somewhere out in the ocean, that boat hit another boat and began to sink. H.G.'s four daughters were killed. They were drowned, and his wife somehow miraculously was saved, and she made it to Europe. And he gets a telegram from her, and she's asking, what what, what do we do now? And the story goes that in, in that moment, in those moments, he would write these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my soul. When sorrow, like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Out of deep, deep loss. He stood with Paul. It's not easy. He lost his daughters, all four. There was something in him, something in him that held to hope. Thousands of years before, Paul wrote these verses. This was his hymn. This was his song. Throughout Christianity, there have been thousands and thousands of men and women. We'll never know their stories who have suffered horrific loss and yet were able to stand with Paul in faith on these words by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, by the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to stand with Paul. The scriptures teach us that anyone who is in Christ is a new, a new creature. Paul has been transformed. He, he, see things, he sees things differently because of the, the activity of Christ in his life. Even in the brokenness and the pain 
in the darkness. He sees everything in the light of eternity. He sees it all in the light of Christ. He has experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He knows that nothing will pull him from the love of God. Nothing. He knows Christ crucified. He knows Christ risen. And because of the Holy Spirit that's alive and well in him, he has been transformed and that has transformed everything in his life. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that fars outweigh, far outweighs them all. It's even, it's even given him a new perspective on, on, on something like time. Momentary trouble. You know, here's the truth. All of this the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is truly for a moment. When we hold it and, and compare it to eternity, millions and millions and millions of years multiplied by millions and millions and millions of years equals eternity. This moment in time is but just a moment, a vapor, a wisp. I'm not even sure that's a good definition for eternity, but it's just the way that my finite brain can start to, to comprehend it. And so the brokenness and the darkness that we see compared with eternity is a moment. And that's how Paul can write that. He knows, he has seen into the glory of God. And our light troubles, for our light and momentary troubles. Now, I want you to understand, I really kind of, we have to realize he is not minimizing anything that we go through. He knows that the world is broken, that we feel anxious. Paul was anxious sometimes. Paul, he got down. Paul got angry. I mean, he experienced the full range of emotion. Jesus had an anxiety attack in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's, it's, it's there. This is not about him minimizing anything. But, but, but the way he, he's not calling, he's not telling you, you know what, put your big boy pants on and suck it up and just kind of move on. That's, that's not what he's saying. I believe what he's telling us that anything that we can experience here in comparison to the glory of God amounts to nothing. It amounts to nothing. And I know that's that's a weighty that's a that's a weighty idea for me because man, I know some people that have gone through really hard hard things, difficult difficult things. But Paul says, you know what? In comparison to the glory of the Lord, it's nothing. Can we be a church that can stand on that message in this world today? the glory of the Lord that we see when he puts all of this back together again will make all of this that's now seem very, very small. But even in verse 17, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's a tough verse to deal with. It's, it's kind of hard to take this all in. And so I think Paul knows that, and so he writes 18 to help us because what he's talking about in verse 18 is, is faith. It takes faith when we can see into the glory of the Lord through faith, when we can stand on his word 
through faith. When we can trust him through faith, we can glimpse that glory through faith. Then, as that hymn goes, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The lights of the glory of the Lord will one day put all of this back together. God sends Jesus back. He sends him back. The world is put back together. We are raised to new life. A glorified body, the scripture says, just like Jesus. I would assume I'm going to have hair on my head. But right now, all of this, it's temporary. It doesn't last. Everything that we have, everything that we own will one day end up in a big trash heap. Merry Christmas. Everything will either one day rot away, it'll be burned up, it'll be buried, including this body that we have now. It will go away. It's all temporary. But by faith, we believe something different. By faith, we trust something very different. And we know that the things that we have yet to see, that the glory of the Lord that, we have, that has yet to be revealed will last forever. And those who walk with Jesus will walk with Him forever. The world will not need the sun in the sky because God will be our light and He will be with His people. He will be with the church. He will be with us. By faith, we believe that. By faith, we look into the glory of the Lord and all this darkness and brokenness and pain and loss, all of it, we can say, I'm not going to lose heart. Yeah, maybe my heart will be broken, but God puts it back together again. Maybe I'm going to shed tears. Maybe I'm going to feel bad. Maybe I'm just going to not want to get out of bed. Maybe I'm going to, maybe I'm going to need the help of my brothers and sisters to lift me up. I'm not going to lose heart. Because by faith, I know that's the glory of the Lord. The full glory of the Lord is yet to be revealed. And when it is, woo. This is the kind of church that the world needs right now. Right now. A church that presses in to the scripture and into God and to Christ with everything that's within us. See, that's the church that's no longer irrelevant. That's a church that, that can take the message of Jesus and all its grace and love and compassion and mercy and bring hope to the hopeless, bring light to a dark world. That's relevant today. That's a church that has taken a stand and that will be that beacon on a hill, that will be a light unto the Gentiles. That's a church that gives hope. I'm telling you, hope is what the world needs right now. Hope is what the world needs. Can we 
begin to be more and more that church. Father, I want to thank you for your love, for grace, for mercy. Now build your church because we stand in faith and confidence that the gates of hell will not prevail because of our Savior, our Creator, our Father, our God. Lord, I pray that you would pour out the anointing of your Holy Spirit on each one of us, on every church that's meeting in your name this morning. Whether they dress different than us, sing different songs, different instruments, whether they be a thousand or ten, may you pour out the power of your Holy Spirit upon them, that you would raise up your church to be the light and the hope of this world in the name of Jesus. We stand before you in his precious name. Amen. 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 Yeah, I love you guys. It's good to be back. I'll see you next week.